Hello and welcome to another edition of Outside is Overrated. This is episode 12, which ironically I haven't thought of a title for yet, but I'm sure it's going to be something super clever. On this show we're going to be talking about Dragon Ball Fighters, not Fighter Z, Fighters, Super Smash Brothers Ultimate. We're going to be talking about actually making a game. So we have some really great topics and we'd like to thank our sponsor Premier Health. Check out their website at premierhealthmn.com. That's premierhealthmn.com. For this episode, I would like to welcome a brand new co-host, Scott Bullard. Welcome to the show, Scott. Hi, good to be here. It's been a long time coming. I'm excited to be on with you. Yeah, we've talked about this for a long time because of our mutual interest in video games and your actual chops and creativity in creating things. We'll get into that a little bit later. Just for a little bit of our own personal history... We met at a New Year's party many years ago, and I love telling this story. I tell it every time we're around somebody new. Yeah. It's actually the party where I reconnected with Phoenix, my lovely wife. We met through our mutual friend Brian, who is a fan of the show, friend of the show. He'll actually be on an upcoming episode of the show. Anyways, we had maybe been somewhat overserved, and we were sledding down the porch steps on a cardboard box. After one of your runs, you were lying on the snow beneath the porch, and I thought it would be hilarious to drop a snow shovel off the porch and stick it in the snow near you, like an icy William Tell. <laughs> and Great in theory, but in practice, I nearly decapitated you. And I think that first encounter kind of sums up our personalities rather well. I tend to be somewhat over the top, and to the point of being a major dick, and you seem to be a little bit more tolerant of outlandish actions than most people. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of true, uh... It might have been a different story if you would have hit your mark, but <laughs> turns <laughs> out you were a little bit off with the shovel. Turns out it is incredibly difficult to be accurate with a snow shovel when you're drunk. That's good for me. Snow shovel plus grant. Well, I wasn't trying to kill you, Scott. I was trying to get <laughs> near you. Okay, well, in that case, you succeeded, I guess. <laughs> now, being a part of one of my particular friend groups, I have bugged you to listen to every episode of OIO and read... Pretty much every piece of content that I put out since its inception, what is your favorite thing about Outside is Overrated? Uh, well, I would have to say the podcasts are definitely the easiest content for me to consume on your website because I am busy and working a lot, and so it's, I can, it's very easy to listen just while I'm doing other things. And occasionally I'll check out some of your articles that you've written, and I absolutely love those too. Hey. Um, but yeah, I think I've listened to every episode that you've put out so far, and you're doing a great job. I think I'm going to start every episode with making my co-host say something nice about me, <laughs> because I feel terrific right now. Real ego boost right off the bat. Yeah, it's wonderful for me. You know, I could reciprocate and do something nice for you, but I'm not going to. We're just going to move along. <laughs> so, we'll get there later. I certainly hope so. <laughs> now, you are a big fan of both video games and anime. What are some of your other kind of nerdy interests? Um, I kind of... You know, there it's spread across a lot of different nerdy things, some different movies, TVs, book series, of course. Um, I guess it doesn't really matter what the, the media type is, but uh, as long as the content tickles my fancy. <laughs> and uh, what are some of the biggest ticklers? Um, well, some comic book stuff. Uh, I'm, I, I was never really into the comic books themselves. Uh, it's kind of a tricky thing to get into when there's you know so much it's 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 hard to jump in at any certain point on comics because mm -hmm. they uh there's 
there's so a lot much. of history there. Yeah, there's, there's been so many reboots, and it's almost to the point like where where can I possibly start with Spider Man? Yeah, amazing exactly. Spider Man, spectacular Spider Man, Miles Morales is Spider Man. Like, yeah, lots of different versions, and well, so and but I've I've always been a fan of the characters and the the general story. So I'll, I'll watch a lot of the TV shows, and of course, like the MCU is is great. But besides that, uh, other nerdy things i don't know harry potter is good uh do we think that harry potter is really nerdy it's so mainstream like that's true but i mean there are people that there are people that take it pretty nerdy yeah yeah so how deep is your love for harry potter how far have you gone down the rabbit hole it pretty far yeah it's i'm not as into it as when the original movies were coming out but when yeah when i was into it i was I was pretty into it. Do you own a wand? No. I know several people that do, though, but I do not. Neither do I. Which house would you have been put into? Oh, God, I don't know. Uh, I don't It's hard to... I don't, I don't know the... I guess I'm not that into it. I don't know the qualifications for each of the houses. For me, houses. it's easy. It's all slithering all, all the way. Like, <laughs> yeah. From the first moment they explained the houses, I'm like, I'm pretty sure I know where I would slot in here. <laughs> well, we can... Guess that from your shovel-throwing incident. <laughs> <laughs> we will now move on to corrections for Outside is Overrated. For the second consecutive show, there are none. Outside is Overrated is just flawless. If you have any feedback for our shows, please email us at overratedpod at gmail.com. I swear to God, if you send an email to overratedpod at gmail.com, I will read it on this show. And if not, I will just make them up. I have done it before. <laughs> You can also follow us on social media. I'm at Tom underscore underscore awesome on Twitter. Scott, are you online anywhere that people can follow you? Yes. Uh, totally forgot uh, my... So you're saying you have a perfectly wonderful and reasonable Twitter handle. I do. If it's at Tom is an asshole, this podcast is over. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, you can reach me at... Uh, through email at intangiblegame at gmail.com. Just the email? Uh, yeah. Or, well, the Twitter I should be on intangiblegame. Excellent. You can also follow the show on Facebook at facebook.com slash outside is overrated or on Instagram at outside underscore overrated pod. Now, for across my gaming handles and stuff, it's pretty consistently Tom Awesome. Sometimes there's one underscore. Sometimes Usually there's two. I don't know what I was thinking with the Instagram... Anyways, social media is dumb. Follow us everywhere. Our first topic today is a fighting game. I think it's the first fighting game we've talked about on Outside is Overrated. It's a mashup of two things that you love, fighting games and Dragon Ball. Which of these did you fall in love with first? Uh, definitely fighting games. I, I've been a fighting games fan since... Uh, well, I went to a... One of my cousins uh, played hockey a long time ago. They were at least a decade older than I am. And uh, they had a, a Street Fighter II arcade machine yes. at, at the rink that they played at. And that was the first fighting game that I had ever seen. And I was just enthralled by that. And uh, like a year later, maybe, some of my cousins had it on the Super Nintendo and they were playing it at home. And my mind was just blown. I was like, oh my god, I can actually sit down and play this and practice with the different characters at home. That's Not so pump cool. a quarter in for every single match. Yeah, exactly. That's another one of the things about arcades that make it really hard to 
practice and you know because you either got to be good or hope that nobody else is playing with you in order to practice what you want to try and back in the days of the arcade there's no youtube there are no online tutorials like how on earth did you actually learn and master combos back in that age yeah i i didn't <laughs> i waited <laughs> did I. Uh, it was also my gateway into fighting games and almost video games as a whole like my mom was not a believer in video games so we never had an nes uh, but we'd go to like the county fair and there'd be an arcade set up there or the skating rink in Mora had a couple of arcade cabinets too and I remember just being mesmerized by Street Fighter 2 and a very similar thing with the Super Nintendo going over to a friend's house and playing it. Somewhere along the line I lost my love for fighting games. What is your kind of lineage with them? Uh, well, like I said, I've, I've been interested in them for a long time. I, uh, I've never really been a big competitive player. I've uh, done a little bit here and there, but mostly I've just been a big fan. I played... Not, you the, haven't been a competitive player. You're going to Evo to play for this year, for Christ's sakes. Yeah, but that's my first time, and I've only been in a handful of tournaments that I didn't do very well at before. It's more of just kind of an experience that me and a friend are going to check it out and kind of kind of just see what the scene is like. Uh, more so than to place. I mean, we're not <laughs> we're not taking home the trophy or anything like that. <laughs> you hear that? Brian Scott says you suck at video games. <laughs> How does that feel? Yeah, my goal there is to win one match. It's just don't go home 0-2. All of OAO and our myriad, myriad following of listeners. Boy, this is going to be a rough show, man. All of OAO will be pulling for you. <laughs> Thanks. Well, Let's talk about the history of Dragon Ball and video games in general. Now, I've never actually played a Dragon Ball game aside from a tiny bit of Fighters with you. I purchased two different versions of Budokai. I think it was two and three, but I never actually got around to putting them in the machine and turning it on. It was right at the end of the PS2 lifestyle that I got them. What were some of the previous highlights of Dragon Ball in gaming? Um, well, Dragon Ball has been around for quite a while in gaming, but there... There were a lot of obscure titles, um, a lot of like Japanese imported games. Uh, it didn't really kind of hit the mainstream until I think the Budokai series. That's that's probably the big one. I just I was looking at my games collection the other day and I just remembered that I have a copy of uh, Dragon Ball Z Ultimate Battle Twenty Two, which is like a imported Japanese game that they ended up translating for U.S. like six years after it came out in Japan. It was awful. Huh. But, Did it follow uh, the Cell games? What's that? Did it follow the Cell games? Yeah, I think it went through past that. Um, I don't remember exactly what the story was for it. I didn't play very much of it. But I, yeah, I mostly got into Dragon Ball games with the Budokai series as well. Like I have one, two, and three. But never really... Uh, Competitively, they weren't really great fighting games. It was mostly just you're a fan of Dragon Ball, so you buy those games and you play the characters. And, and the art was pretty good in them, correct? At the time, yeah. I mean, I'm sure it'd be rough going back. Yeah, to that. it's it's real rough. At that point back. in gaming time, they were considered beautiful games, right? So, how is Fighters, and why do you know why they called it Fighters with a capital Z at the end? Uh, not exactly. Uh, I think I I know they kind of wanted to emphasize the Dragon Ball Z section, but I mean they've brought in lots of characters from other parts in the series too. So I don't know. It's kind of a silly title. 
And just a real quick reset. How big is Dragon Ball? Like my frame of reference is Dragon Ball Z, I believe. I watch most of the Cell Saga, and that is my entire frame of reference for all of Dragon Ball. Like Dragon Ball started when as Dragon Ball when Go Ku was a kid. <laughs> yeah. Look, that's smart. I know things. <laughs> yep. Yeah, so it started as Dragon Ball, and then uh, took on kind of a different persona as when Goku was growing up, and they called it Dragon Ball Z. As far as I know, I think I don't think that they have different names for them in the Japanese version. It's just all one continuous series. Um, but they kind of wanted to differentiate the different eras in U.S., True. so they called it Dragon Ball Z. Uh, and then they came out with Dragon Ball GT, which wasn't written by the original author, but I don't know, it has its fans. I'm not really a big fan of that part. But, uh, and then they're still going on with uh, Dragon Ball Super now. They, or well, I suppose it's done over in Japan for the, the anime, but they're still releasing episodes in the US version over here. So it's a big series and it's covered a lot of years. A lot of years. Dragon Ball came out in roughly when we were kids, right? Like late 80s, and Z was in the 90s? Yeah, mm-hmm. and I think Z was mostly released, or well, it was released in the U.S. in the late 90s. Fascinating. So coming back to Fighters, how is the game overall? Is it, are we going to look back at this and say, yeah, that was pretty good art for the time, or is this an actual great game? Uh, well, I mean, those are two different things, the art and how the game plays itself, but, I mean, the art is, it's hard to say, like, it's its beautiful right now, it's its hard to find something. And I've watched some clips of it, like, it is really phenomenal, it actually looks like an anime show. Right, and it's, it's hard to say that you would look back at it and think that it would someday look ugly, but, I don't know, I've been fooled before, I've thought that things that were beautiful in the past... You know, you look back at them now, like those Budokai games, and oh man, they look rough. <laughs> but uh, I think it's going to hold up pretty well. I think they're, uh, they're, the style that they go for, well, is definitely just that. It, it pushes more style than graphical fidelity, or, you know, like, like realism, which ages very quickly. The mm-hmm. Keeping to a, a distinct art style, I think, will, will make the game age much better. Sure. And as a fan of both Dragon Ball and of fighting games, how is the roster? How big is it? Is it big enough? Is there enough diversity in the characters? Uh, yeah, it's it's starting out, I thought it was a little bit small. Um, for well, for Is it like a Smash situation where you start with a handful of characters and then you unlock many more, or is, are they all available from the start? Uh, well, there, there, there were a few unlockable characters uh, when you first purchased the game. But, I mean, they were simple unlocks. You just had to kind of earn enough points just by playing the game, and they eventually unlock. Then the rest of the characters that have come out since have just been DLC characters, which you have to pay extra for. Um, Real quick sidebar, how do you feel about paid DLC characters in a fighting game? um, I don't have a problem with it. Um, Sometimes pricing can get a little bit out there, but... uh, I feel like the general consumer reaction is probably pretty negative towards it. My my feelings are that if I'm going to pay for full retail price for a game, I expect like all of the original content to be in there. I want it all for my sticker price. Right. Well, I mean, that that uh, is kind of part of a bigger question of what is considered a complete package at the outset. But with, with DLC characters for a fighting game, 
I kind of consider it as, well, additional content. It's usually, like, at the outset, it was, even though maybe it didn't have quite as many characters as I would have liked, it was still fairly well-rounded, and uh, it, it had a good, solid roster. And the characters that they've released since then, uh, there's maybe a few that I think probably should have been in there at the beginning, like the base forms of Goku and Vegeta. Uh, There's no but regular Goku in Dragon Ball Fighters. Not unless you pay for it. Oh, yeah, that's for crying. <laughs> that, you know, my own frame of reference for Dragon Ball is so small. Maybe I shouldn't be outraged, but that just seems like an awful strategy. Yeah, it's and I, I don't know what the decision behind that was, but I think it would have been fine if they would have maybe swapped it out, swapped those two characters out for other ones. But all in all, it's I, I don't have a problem with it because adding new characters and it kind of shows that they're supporting the game and it gives gives players something to look forward to and you know there's new interesting characters and you know they put out balance patches all the time too so it's it keeps the game feeling more fresh. How is the actual moment to moment fighting in the game? I really enjoy it. I um, I kind of fell in love with it from the start, uh, largely because I'm, I mostly play online and, Oh God, that sounds awful. Yeah. I mean, so I, you're playing, you're usually fighting be, against strangers. Yeah. Right. Well, I, I'm kind of forced into that situation because no one else that I know plays the game and no one else that I know is really into fighting games as much as I am. Uh, maybe, you know, some of our friends have, have a little bit of interest. Brian is probably the, but Brian sucks at games. We already covered that. <laughs> yeah, well, he tries at least, but uh, he uh, he's kind of fallen off in the past few years. You know, life happens, you get busy, and he just hasn't had the time to put in. Uh, or, it, you know, if he does, he puts it into other games that he has interest in. He hasn't mm-hmm. had time to play, you know, Dragon Ball or Street Fighter or something like that. So, Can you give us a feel for the system? Like, uh, I think Dead or Alive is a counter system and Mortal Kombat is a different kind of system like what are the core tenets of fighting in Dragon Ball Fighters? Um, I would say if people are familiar with uh, Marvel vs. Capcom it's kind of a three on three tag system and I mean it's it's just straight up equating it to Marvel is kind of a disservice to it because there are a lot of little intricacies that's maybe just if you're looking for an overall comparison, that's that's a good one. It's a, it's a tag fighting game. You uh, and how does the strategy in a tag fighting game differ from something like Mortal Kombat, where it's a straight one on one fight? Um, well, you kind of have to manage your health and tag partners in and out. Uh, when you when one of the characters takes damage, they leave behind uh, a little bit of blue health or in some games it's white health or whatever it's recoverable health Mm -hmm. and when you tag out that character slowly heals over time so you kind of have to manage your team more than just uh, think of I'm going to use this this one character against this other character and you just kind of go at it yeah sure and playing pulling on the thread of the team dynamic do the Characters have different benefits of teaming up with other specific characters, or do they each bring like unique, a uh, unique special to the game? Or how how do you choose your team of three? Yeah, they uh, so each character has an assist move that they can use when they're not currently the active 
character. Like, what's Piccolo's? That's a character, right? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. He uh, he shoots out uh, a little homing energy blast that slowly moves across the screen and tracks the opponent. So uh, every character in in Dragon Ball Fighters has one assist move, and they, depending on what it is, it works better or worse with different characters and. I've seen a lot of people get really creative with how they put some teams together and make them work. And But, I mean, it's not just their assist moves. It's their super moves, uh, whether one uh, can combo into another. And I think it would be interesting at some point to do a deep dive into kind of the psychology behind fighting games because it's a lot more than jumping in and just wailing on the buttons which would be all that I'm capable of oh, at this absolutely. phase of life and I think and that's what my wife thinks it is too <laughs> <laughs> she has no interest of listening to the strategy or why it's it's a in-depth technical kind of dance between two players but it really is and thinking of that dance, when you're choosing your team, do you like to choose things based on your strengths, or do you see what the other player is doing and then do things to counter that, or how does that play out for you? Um, I go more towards my, well, I don't know about strengths. I kind of pick my favorite characters. I play the ones that I like. Um, I, I usually end up playing very low-tier characters because of that. Does that mean you're going to get crushed at Evo? Yes, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> No, actually, one of the... Well, I mean, in, in Dragon Ball Fighters, it's kind of uh, difficult to pin down because it's, you know, it's a three-person team. So I have one character that's very high-tier, one that's kind of mid-tier, and one that's, like, bottom-of-the-barrel tier, so... What's your go-to team? My go-to team is Krillin, Kid Buu, and Tien. Krillin, I could identify that character in the lineup. I have no idea who the other two are. What uh, draws you to those characters? <laughs> Um, mostly my interest in them from the show. Uh, like, and are they all from the Z era, or are they throughout the entire series, or what? Uh, what's interesting about these characters? Well, Krillin and Tien are from the original Dragon Ball, and Kid Buu is from the end of Dragon Ball Z. Um, but Krillin, I kind of get a lot of crap from my friend for, for liking him, because he's, uh, he's one of the weaker characters in the show, but he was kind of the star of the, the saga that I was watching when I came in. Um, I came in in the middle of the, the Namek saga, if anyone has seen the show and knows what I'm talking about. He, uh, okay, so Goku was beaten up in, in the previous fight, and he was, like, out of commission. And that's, I mean, that kind of happens a lot, is Goku's out of commission, and other characters have to do stuff until Goku's... Goku gets there to save the day. And a real quick frame of reference, Goku is like the Superman of the Dragon Ball universe. He's kind of the main character, kind of the unstoppable force at the center of it. Yeah, maybe not quite as overpowering as Superman, but, I mean, yeah, he's he's the hero. Sure. The main character. And go on with Krillin. No, so so when I came in, it was... He was off with this squad of weaker characters running around on Namek, going to collect the Dragon Balls, and... He was, he was taking care of business. He was up there getting stuff done while Goku was sitting on his ass at home. <laughs> and so I kind of really fell in love with that aspect of the character because there was a lot of strategy in, in how he snuck around. And even though he was a weaker character, he, he had to kind of use his mind. And they, 
they were they were taking out other fighters here and there, but they did it like stealthily, and uh, I I just kind of really admired that part. And it's kind of been tough since later in the show watching him not really do a whole lot. But I still I still love the character, and so well, once you connect with the character, it can be hard to break that. And two really strange things jumped to mind for me based on that example. Uh, in wrestling, I would always, when I, I had a wrestling phase in late high school, early college, where I was really into the WWE, or the WWF then, and I always liked the characters that everyone else hated. I don't know if I was being contrarian, but to me, they were just always more interesting. I liked the more charismatic villain type characters, and I don't know, some people get obsessed with brute power, like jumping topics again to D&D. Some people get obsessed with the min-max and the characters that can do the absolute most damage where... For me, I like a character that can create a lot more chaos. I think a lot more interesting stories come out of that, and those tend to be characters that I resonate with more. Mm -hmm. So long story short, Brian, you're wrong, and get off Scott's case about Krillin, all right? (laughs) The last thing I want to touch on for Dragon Ball, how accessible is this game? Like, I have no skill with fighting games. Like, I can dabble with things, and I can do a little button mashing, and I really enjoyed playing through the story in Injustice. If I wanted to jump into Dragon Ball Fighters, would this be an overwhelming experience for me, or would I be able to get something from, say, the single-player mode? Um, well, I mean, you'd definitely be able to get something from the single-player mode uh, if you just kind of, you know, set it to easy and you just want a good experience. I never just... set it to easy, Scott. Okay, never. sure, you know, whatever. Um, I mean, overall, it'd be kind of difficult to get into compared to other fighters. I think there are more simplistic ones out there but as for the type of game that it is uh i think it's it's pretty accessible they they put in things like auto combos and uh which is you know you just kind of so the two same new people are sitting combo. on the sofa together they can have a pretty flashy interesting match against each other oh yeah like you can learn the basics of how to do some some cool flashy stuff pretty easily and, uh, I mean, there's a, a super dash mechanic, which is you just hit one button and your character just flies across the screen and homes in on the other character. Yes. So, yeah, exactly. They, they, they made it pretty accessible for, for people, despite it being a pretty complex game. So, it's accessible to new players to a degree, and especially if you have an interest in Dragon Ball, and it has the complexity for a high-end competitive scene. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a... Yeah. App description. Well, Dragon Ball Fighters, check it out. We're going to stick with the fighting genre for our next topic. And we're going to talk about Super Smash Brothers Ultimate. Now, Smash Brothers is one of Nintendo's iconic franchises and arguably one of the biggest franchises in gaming. Yeah, I agree. So, the first entry in this series appeared on the Nintendo 64 in 1999. It appeared on GameCube in 2001. Uh, titled Super Smash Brothers, Super Smash Brothers Melee on GameCube, Super Smash Brothers Brawl on the Wii in 2008, Super Smash Brothers for Wii U in 2014, or for the 3DS, and Super Smash Brothers Ultimate in 2018 on the Nintendo Switch. What is your history with this franchise? I know you're a big fan, but how far back do you go? Uh, I go all the way back. I think I first saw it in just little picture images in a GamePro issue. GamePro, <laughs> Game yes. GamePro, old gaming magazine from a long time ago. And yeah, I, I thought it was awesome. Just I saw a picture of, I think it was like Samus fighting Pikachu or something, and I thought that was the coolest thing. Hmm. I was I didn't really um, play the 
the original one, just the Super Smash Brothers for Nintendo 64. Mm -hmm. Did you have a 64? Oh, yeah. Yep. Yep. I did too, but I only had a handful of games. I got on real late in uh, about 2000. Yeah. I uh, no, I played it quite a bit, but mostly just by myself because sure. uh, I was I didn't have a whole lot of friends that were into fighting games at that time mm-hmm. either. But uh, I really got into it with a group of friends when Melee came out because I happened to be living in a college dorm at the time. What a <laughs> time and a place for gaming was Super Smash Brothers Melee on the GameCube. Like I was never a fan of the Cube myself. I hate the controller, and I think it's one of the worst things in the history oh, of video God, games. I disagree so much. And the people who disagree <laughs> disagree so strongly. But for mo- many people around our age, playing Smash Brothers Melee in college on the GameCube was one of their defining video game experiences. Mm-hmm. It's amazing how that transcended gaming. Was that the highlight of Smash for you, or does every new entry create a new high for you at Smash? Um, no and no. I'll say it was uh, it was definitely a high point, but I don't think it's the high point of Smash for me. Um, and also, like I think there have been better smashes since Melee. I know a lot of people will disagree. There are diehard diehard Melee fans out there. Do but, they still play Melee at Evo? Uh, this or- year they are not. I mean, I'm sure they're running it in a side tournament somewhere, but it's not one of the featured games this year. But still, if it was run last year in 2018, that is 17 yeah. years. That is a hell of a run. And well, even though I didn't care for the game... God bless you, Melee. That's incredible. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the community for it is amazing. But, I mean, they, they haven't been at Evo every year since then. Uh, they, I think the community just kind of became big enough and noisy enough to where they couldn't ignore them for the past few years, and they ran it alongside Smash for Wii U. Yeah, it's, it's, I think it's a great game, and I absolutely loved it when it was out. But, uh, but then, I mean, yeah, the series kind of took went in a little slump uh, when Brawl came out. Like, it kind of... A lot of people didn't like it as much as the previous ones. Or what were the down after. points of Brawl? It was very slow. It was by far the slowest playing game in the series, which I think kind of made a lot of the competitive players more angry because they want you know that twitch reaction speed, um, mm-hmm. which makes it more fun to, to be able to kind of pull one over on your opponent. And with brawl you can just see it coming from a mile away there's it's hard to to move fast and uh, and they put in little quirks like tripping which is just a random chance that your character will fall over oh that when sounds moving. awful yeah which any kind of randomness in fighting games is usually a terrible thing when when you're trying to uh, There's so much precision that goes into it. It must be incredibly frustrating when your dude just falls over. Right. When it's supposed to be a contest of skill and a random chance will cost you the match. That's It didn't go over very well. Sure. And what is with the naming convention with the Wii U version? I didn't realize that it didn't have like a word as its title. It wasn't Melee. It wasn't Brawl. It wasn't Ultimate. It was Super Smash Brothers for Wii U. Yeah. That's... Um, I, I kind of thought that was weird too at first because they they had kind of a cool thing going with melee and brawl and having a a little tagline or a little subtitle on it that kind of jazzed it up a little bit but i'm guessing that the reason that they named it 
for Wii U was because they were also releasing for 3DS at the same time, oh, sure. and they wanted to avoid confusion. So they just said, we're going to slap the name of the console on this game so that you know which version it is. How terrible is Nintendo at naming stuff? Like, the new 3DS, like, the Wii U after the Wii, like, they just... The new they, Super Mario Brothers. It's just ridiculous. Like, they hurt their brand so much by just not giving us easily identifying titles for things. Yeah. It's very silly. Uh, so what to you, what's the best version of Smash? Um, I have been kind of transitioning. I would say Wii U was my favorite for quite a long time. I've been transitioning to Ultimate. I do really like it. It's I'm just so used to playing Wii U still because i played it for years now. I, I really like Ultimate. I'm kind of getting used to it now, and I think Ultimate will eventually take that spot, or I, I'm pretty close to it. As is. Favorite and least favorite characters? Favorite characters to play and who just bugs you? Uh, the main character that I play is Palutena. I've been playing her since... Uh, I have no idea who that is. Yeah. is If you're not, uh, I don't know, I guess a hardcore Nintendo fan or... I have really a very deep a appreciation. Yeah. Oh, is she the Donkey Kong chick? No, no, that's Pauline that oh. you're thinking of. Oh, yeah. Uh, close. Certainly. P pal, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I really get focused on P apparently. <laughs> no, Palutena is a Kid Icarus character. Uh, she's just kind of a side character, so I don't really blame you for not knowing who she is. I've never played an Icarus game. Uh, any other favorite characters? We, when you were wiping the floor with everyone at Smash at the Midwest Gaming Classic, you told me that you are good with an obscene number of characters. What? How many characters are you fluid with, and how many total are there in Ultimate? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I kind of, I kind of play everyone. I, I mean, I would say Palutena is kind of my main character, but I play most of the cast except for like a handful. It'd probably be easier to okay, name. Okay, who do you hate? Who don't you play? I don't You're not really a Bowser like... guy, are you? No, I love Bowser. Yeah, he's, he's awesome. Uh, I don't really play Mr. Game & Watch or Jigglypuff and maybe Duck Hunt. Besides that, I play pretty much all the I rest love of that these are all characters. <laughs> I know. <laughs> no, I respect them. They're fine characters. I just, I just don't really connect with them in any way. I've dabbled with most versions of Smash. I've played all of them except for the 64 version to some degree. Not really my favorite franchise, but I appreciate it, and for couch co-op it can be a lot of fun. Would you say that you're better at Smash or at Fighters? Uh, that's hard to say. I guess if I had to choose one, I might say Fighters. I'd say my, my ratio is probably better, my win ratio. And when we played at the Midwest Gaming Classic, I could tell that you were fully capable of dismantling me at will. Thank you for hanging back and letting Brian mash me to goo instead. Why don't you enjoy picking on vastly inferior players, Scott? Oh, God, I didn't know this was a real question. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, I think that kind of goes into why I like fighting games to begin with. It's the, the challenge, having a resistance. If you just, if you're, you know, hitting a punching bag is fine and all, but it's, uh, it's not as much fun. There's no seeing who's going to win it's just kind of, if it's a one-sided fight it's it's there's not as much interest there's no drama no intensity 
That's interesting. I think our friend Brian, who I can't believe how much we're bringing him up this show. Yeah, no kidding. He's going to have a huge head, but I think he has a different mentality. I think that he will take every single win against – he would crush ants all day long if he could. I mean, I'm sure he appreciates a well-fought and well-earned win as well, but I think he has kind of a different mindset in that he is willing to just take the low-hanging fruit as well. Yeah, he's told me before that his entire purpose of playing competitive games is to make sure that everyone else is having a bad time. What an asshole. (laughs) I've dabbled with the single-player World of Light mode. You move across this overworld, and you get to kind of choose your next battle on a map. What do you think of this mode, and how does it compare to single-player modes in past Smash games? I thought it was really fun. Um, I thought it was fun, too, but I had so little experience to gauge it against. I was wondering if it was just something new for me. Right. No, it's... uh, Hey, if you're having fun, then it's it's fun, right? (laughs) It doesn't matter what previous experiences there were, but um, I think that a lot of people do miss some of the the story, like the subspace emissary is what the story mode was called in The Wii Brawl. U version? No, that was in the Wii version for uh, Brawl. Um, so people hated, generally well, panned that game, but the single player mode was a highlight of it? Well, no, no, hang on. Let me go back on that, actually. People hated the competitive part of Brawl. Oh, there were sure. a lot of fans that really loved Brawl. And it, it was a really good game, especially the, the single player. And if you play it as a party game, which is just, you know, get a group of friends together, pour, play four players, and it, it's awesome. You know, it's any Smash game is absolutely fine for that. Uh, so there were a lot of good things, but just the competitive aspect of it people really didn't like brawl all that much sure but yeah the uh the subspace emissary the story mode for brawl was great the adventure mode in melee which was kind of another uh it wasn't really a story mode but you played through stages like you could you could choose link and then run through the mushroom kingdom and jump on goobas and stuff you just play through different stages from different nintendo worlds interesting that sounds like a lot of fun yeah it was really cool and i think a lot of people were kind of looking forward to that in Ultimate, but uh, that's it's kind of a hard thing to do, especially when they have as many franchises as they do in Smash Brothers now. Uh, so I think they did a pretty good job with with Ultimate adding event mode, so that they could kind of, or, or sorry, uh, what was it called World of Light, or having the Spirit Battles, which was kind of like event mode, which is a previous thing that they had in Smash Brothers. Which was kind of similar. You just it's it's a a unique scenario for a fight. Like you would have two little um, assistant characters, and you would be playing against a giant Bowser or something like that. Uh, at least on top of a building, kind of like a, a Godzilla scenario, or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know. You know, different different setups for. Uh, if you heard that chime, <laughs> my cat just stepped on my daughter's toy piano. And apparently was enthralled with the noise that it made. This is a very professional outfit that we run here at OIO. Yeah. There he is again. Hey. Thank you, Bear. Do you have a nemesis in Smash? Do you have an arch rival? And what strategies do you struggle against? Where do you need to improve? There's four questions in rapid succession. Go! Yeah. Um, a nemesis. person that I probably play against the most would be Brian again. <laughs> so, Which one of you is better, Scott? Uh, it goes back and forth. Um, that sounds a lot like a nice way of saying it. <laughs> Are there strategies in Smash that intend to challenge you? And where do you have any holes in your game that you can improve on? Oh, absolutely. Um, I don't know what a lot of them are, because if I did, I'd probably practice on making them better. But I don't know. That's, that's one of the cool things about 
uh, I watched the replays of matches and kind of watching stuff back, you kind of realize what you did a little bit here and there. Sure. How do the replays work in Ultimate? Is like, is every match cataloged, or can you only watch it immediately after it happens? Or no, just at the end of the match, it gives you an option to record it, and so then you can go back into the replay section and view the match again. Very cool. Yeah. So uh, just kind of going back and watching. A, a match that you've already played, you kind of start to realize, oh, okay, I'm, I'm kind of rolling a lot in this one. Maybe I should stop doing that because it's getting me killed. So so in theory, you could save replays of all the matches where you beat Brian, and you could save them. Is there a way to export them so you could just make this highlight reel of all the times that you crush him? Yeah, sure. <laughs> that sounds awesome. You should do that. Also, what is a Final Smash, and how do you do it? Final Smash is kind of the big overpowering super move that every character has. Uh, so here's how little I know about Smash. I do not know if I've ever seen a Final Smash or not. Really? Yes. Oh, wow. Even when we've been playing like as a group? When we played as a group, I know Smash that I got my cool. ass kicked, and then I was very, very bitchy the rest of the <laughs> Okay, okay. Uh, well, okay, so there's uh, things that are called Smash Balls. It's an item that floats around the screen, and... It just kind of floats back and forth, and characters hit it until it you whittle down the amount of damage done to it, and the last character to hit it will break it open, and then they get a final smash. And to, does it trigger immediately, or does it like it, does it go in your utility belt, and then you trigger it when you want it, or how? Uh... It's uh, yeah, you kind of you get to store it. Your character starts glowing, and so everybody knows that you've got a final smash. It's like the screen dims, and your character starts glowing. So it's. Like you got. I don't think I've seen one character. of these. Okay, so uh, so to activate it, you just hit the B button without pushing any special direction. You just don't touch the stick and just hit B, and it activates it. But every character's special or their final smash works differently. So if you don't know what your character's move does, you might go flying off the side of the screen or awesome. Yeah. So who's your favorite final smash? Oh God. Um. I don't know. It's a classic, I guess, but I like I do like Samus's just a giant beam. Like I maybe this goes to so, my Dragon Ball. <laughs> so you stand on one edge of the screen but, and you shoot a giant beam and wipe everyone else. Yeah, up? you just blast everyone off the screen with a giant laser. That sounds awesome. Mm-hmm. Now, for you, how big of a deal is portability for Smash? Was it a revelation when it went to 3DS? Do you ever play on the go? Like, do you undock your Switch and play it somewhere else, or is it solely a TV game for you? For me, never. I, I'm a yeah. It's solely TV game. I'm not a handheld gamer whatsoever. I'm the same way. Like the only time that I played it mobily is when I took it out of my dock to like play it on my sofa upstairs. Yeah, it's I'll I'll do that for some games. I don't, but even then, I don't use my Switch as a handheld device. I set it on like a kickstand and I grab my my pro controller and I just use it as like a small TV. But I don't, I don't think I could play Smash on a TV or a little screen that small. It just, I don't know, it doesn't feel right to me. Yeah, I always wondered what the appeal was for Smash on the go. So some this, people like it. Some people, yeah, people like weird things. <laughs> this is the ultimate edition of Smash. Where can the franchise go from here, or should they just retire the series altogether? I highly doubt that they're going to retire the series. Oh, wow, that would be it's, like uh, throwing dump trucks of money into the sun. I, 
Yeah, right. they're not going to retire. So I guess where can the franchise go from here? What makes sense? Yeah, I guess that's kind of the big question, isn't it? Um, I don't know. Like with with the amount of characters that they have and the deals that they're working out, they. I mean, they've said that that they could never get this big of a roster or these same characters all back in the same game, or at least it would be kind of insane if they did. Um, I don't know. It's I insane mean, that they did it once. Thank yeah. you, Nintendo, for this awesome product. Right, true. Um, I don't know. I could maybe see them porting this one to another system to kind of extend the life of it, but I, I, I don't know. Maybe they won't do that. I, I'm guessing for an all-new Smash, though, they would they would need something quite a bit different because if they're not going to be relying on the roster, it's it's going to have some kind of twist, or it's going to need to have some kind of twist. Although, then again, it's, you know, people love just the base gameplay of, of Smash, so I don't know. Them just sticking with, with this, if they change too much, they're going to piss some people off. And I'm guessing that, like, the party mode that everyone loves is going to change very little over the years. Maybe it's just different iterations of single-player activities. Yeah. Well, yeah, there's that, too. The, the single-player stuff, they always come up with interesting, unique angles. So there we go. Ultimate is perfect. Let's just keep pouring it for the rest of our lives. <laughs> Jumping from here, we're going to talk about Tom Awesome's top five fighting game characters. It's time now for... Tom Awesome's Top 5 Countdown. 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. So I'm going to run through my top 5 here. You're welcome to jump in with feedback. But let's try to keep this rolling and uh, we can talk about honorable mention after the fact. Number 5, Ryu from Street Fighter 2. Street Fighter was my gateway to fighting games. Uh, I... Loved it back in the day. I was never, ever, ever any good at it. But Ryu, I don't know. I guess I just thought he looked cool. And, like, the hurricane kick looked cool. And, uh, I don't know. Yeah, it's Mr. Fighting Game character. Mr. Fighting Game character. Kind of your go-to all around. I'm going to start with the the main dude. <laughs> Welcome to the genre. Number four, Bowser in Smash. I found that in Smash... I'm not very good, but I like the big, powerful, lumbering characters. Yeah, I like Bowser. He's a lot of fun, especially in the newer ones. Number three, Ivy from Soul Calibur 2 specifically. I played quite a bit of Soul Calibur 2 on the PlayStation 2. My friends and I got really into it in college, and it was fun to unlock all the stuff. And she was my main character. I thought her sword whip was awesome. Yeah. Did you play much Soul Calibur? I did. I played the first one and the second one, and kind of fell off a little bit after that. But yeah, I played a lot of the first one on Dreamcast and uh, the Nintendo GameCube one with Link. But yeah, Ivy, very cool character. Number two, probably the most iconic character from another one of the biggest uh, fighting game franchises, Scorpion from Mortal Kombat. Yep, I dig it. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I mean, the spear move, dragging them in, hitting them with an uppercut, good shit. Yeah, hard to go wrong with Scorpion. He's a classic character with the fatality where he pulls his mask off and, and there's a skull him. underneath. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I was torn between Scorpion and Sub-Zero. I like both of them, but I haven't played much Street Fighter beyond, like, Street Fighter 2, Street Fighter 3. Or Mortal Kombat, you mean? 
you know, <laughs> I was rushing. This was the last thing I put together in the outline, and I was rushing through my top five. And I know that it's Mortal Kombat, but I wrote Street Fighter, and I'm looking at it on the computer. And so I said Street Fighter. Yes, I meant Mortal Kombat. I know what you meant. Everybody yeah. knows what you meant. Everyone knew what I meant. Number one, do you have any guess what franchise my favorite character from a fighting game is? I'll give you a hint. We've mentioned it on this show. Hmm. Not this specific iteration that I fell in love with this character, but one of the franchises that we've mentioned. You mean on this episode? Like this as episode. As we've been talking? Yes. God, I don't know. Street Bonus Fighter, points. There's Smash. also a Ninja Turtle that shares his name. I don't know. Like he got <laughs> Raphael from Soul Calibur Four. Oh, okay. So I tend... There are two extremes in fighting games... And I tend to either like the very fastest characters or the slow, lumbering, super powerful characters. I don't like anyone in between. And Raphael had a... Oh, but you uh, chose Ryu. He's the, he's the average in-between guy. <laughs> yeah, well, he was the first one. He was okay. my first. And the first one will always be special, right? Okay. <laughs> I guess so. So Raphael, he was very quick. Uh, he, he had a uh, fencing sword. Why can't I think of what it's fucking called right now a rapier yes <laughs> thank you scott and uh he's just quick and one of my go-to strategies in fighting games when i don't know what i'm doing is to try to just be faster and more persistent than my opponent i get right up in their face and i try to keep the pressure on the entire match just keep mashing that blood yeah just give them hell yep <laughs> i don't really have anyone for my honorable mention because i don't play a lot of fighting games like i mean i like riding in uh not street fighter in mortal Kombat. there and, you go there I go, and <laughs> I liked the Injustice games, and I played through most of those characters, but none of the superheroes really stood out to me. I liked playing as all of them to some degree or other. Mm -hmm. uh, who would be a couple of your top characters across all fighting games? I really like uh, Goken from Street Fighter. He was uh, Ken and Ryu's master, for those who are not... As... What version was he in? He was in Street Fighter 4, um, so having been able to play him in five at all. I keep hoping that they're going to release him, but I know he's probably not the most popular character, but I dig him. Um, also, I like Sagat. He's, he's always been pretty cool. I know I, there's a slew of other ones, but kind of caught off guard here. Oh, uh, maybe uh, Chip Zanif from Guilty Gear. I've never played Daniel. Guilty Gear. Oh, yeah. Brian and I, again, talking about Brian. Brian and I just played uh, the new one uh, just a few days ago. You and Brian should get tattoos of each other. That would be awesome. <laughs> Almost just punching each other. Yes, that would be beautiful. <laughs> so, greater outside is overrated community. Who did we miss? Who are the greatest characters in fighting games? Share your thoughts on Twitter. Tweet them at Tom underscore underscore awesome or email the show at overratedpod at gmail.com. That's overratedpod at gmail.com with two R's in overrated. Thank you to our sponsor, Premier Health. Premier Health has solutions for back pain, neck pain, car accident and work injuries, and more. I suggest seeing Dr. Camille in Golden Valley, Minnesota. Learn more at PremierHealthMN.com. That's PremierHealthMN.com. As a video game fan, I know many people, myself included, who talk a big game about what great games we could produce. Well, Scott, you've actually made a game. Tell us about Psycho Squirrels and where it's available. Uh, Psycho Squirrels is a uh, puzzle game that I made. Just I released it last year. It's available on uh, the Google Play Store. 
and uh, and on Steam. I bought it on Steam. Yep, and on Steam, it's on itch.io and uh, the Amazon App Store. Basically everywhere but the Apple Store, right? Yeah, it's not on Apple. Why did you skip Apple? As uh, I look at my iPhone and glare at you menacingly. Yeah, it's uh, well for Apple. They there's more of a, a cost in getting into developing for Apple. They, oh, interesting. They have a, a yearly fee that you have to to pay to keep your product on their store. So. Oh, that's fascinating. And Android doesn't have anything like that. No, they have a one-time fee at the beginning. That's much cheaper, and then it's a, a lifetime thing. Once you once you pay your entrance fee, it's about twenty five bucks. Then you can keep your your app on their store for as long as you want. Fascinating. Also, I need a Mac to to make games for iPhone. So there's a little bit of a technical hurdle there too. Oh, that sounds like a pain in the ass. Yeah. So talking more about the game itself, I think. I hope you don't hate this comparison, but I think the quickest thing that jumps to mind is an Angry Birds comparison because you're kind of launching squirrels to collect nuts in different boards. No, I don't. I don't mind that. I think I've I've kind of said the simplest way to to describe it to people is kind of an Angry Birds meets Lemmings. Um, I've never played Lemmings, but I remember you shared a clip of a podcast where they talked about it. and You said it was very Lemmings-like. Yeah, it's uh, for those who don't know what Lemmings is. It's an old PC game. Uh, they they have different versions of it that they've released over the years, but it's it's a bunch of little cute characters that walk back and forth. They just they they walk by themselves, and so instead of controlling the character, you kind of have to interact with the stage and put down uh, things to avoid obstacles, and you kind of guide them where you want them to go. Now, in my very first board on Seiko Squirrels, I found something that I absolutely loved. I launched a squirrel into the edge of a platform and it went splat and a little message came up saying, you may think that launching squirrels into ledges is fun, but it's actually not very productive. That was a wonderful touch. I really, really appreciated that little flourish. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Definitely wanted to put some humor in there. So you have a game out there available multiple <clears throat> places. Would you say that you are enormously wealthy right now? Do you have a yacht? Do you have multiple yachts? Uh, well, I'm still saving up for my first yacht. Uh, no, I'll say I'm, <laughs> I'm, yeah, haven't, I haven't made, well, no, I shouldn't say I haven't made a dime off of it other than I have some generous family members that have given me some donations. For hey, it, one but... OIO co-host <laughs> paid for it on Steam, so, you know. Yeah, well, yeah, there you go. Thank you very much. You're welcome. So, everyone that listens to this, please, if you have a Steam account, purchase Psycho Squirrels. What's the price point, Scott? Uh, on Steam, it is two dollars. There you go. Let's all buy Scott his first yacht. So, I think a lot of people. Oh, it's have... also free on uh, Google Play. I should mention. No, nobody pays for free. <laughs> Do you get it? How does that work for you? How does a free game on Google Play benefit you? Well, there are uh, ads. There, it's optional ads. So oh. you don't. You can play through the entire game. I actually had a friend who played through the entire game and didn't know until the last world that the ads that were in there would benefit me. And so he didn't click any of the ads until the last oh, no. the last stage. He's like, yeah, I don't I don't want to see any of these. And and that's that's exactly why I designed it that way is because I I don't want people to be encumbered with having to sit there and watch an ad. But it gives you a little bonus if you do watch the ad. Sure. So correction, 
If you have an Android phone, please go on Google Play and download. You don't have to go to Steam. If you have an Android phone, download it for free and check out a couple of the ads so that we can get Scott sailing. Yeah. That sounds wonderful. So I think a lot of people, myself included, have no concept of how much work actually goes into making a game from beginning to end. Like, we have these great ideas rolling around in our heads. So going back to the beginning of the whole process, was Psycho Squirrels your first foray into making games? Um, not my first foray into making games. It, it was. Is it the first game that you've actually released into the world? Yes. It's it's the first one that I've done completely by myself. I I've done I've contributed to other people's works. Um, I've done just some freelance work here and there. Doing I was mostly I, so I went to I guess I'll start from the beginning here. I uh, I went to college for video game design and development. So I, I have just kind of a few contacts that I have held on to for in the years since I graduated and have done just a little bit of, of uh, work for them. I mostly focused on animating, like 3D, animating 3D models. And uh, I've, I mean, the, the game program kind of taught us a little bit of everything. It wanted us to be very well-rounded, but everybody kind of, you know, graduates or, or, or they kind of drift one way or another with what their interests are, whether it's programming or, or animation or art. For me, I want to tell a kick-ass story in a game. Like, I'm all about the plot and the characters and just coming up with an interesting narrative. Right, and so was I. I think everybody kind of starts that way. Everybody goes, I have a great idea for a game. I don't know anything about making games. Where do I begin? And Can you teach me Unity, please? <laughs> Sure, but it would take some time. <laughs> yeah, and so, like, I, of course, I, I came into it thinking, I have a great idea for a game. I want to make this eventually. And you kind of realize that there's, you know, there's a lot more to it than that. And you kind of got to uh, get your hands dirty in one area or another, kind of learning different programs or, or different aspects of, of what goes into making the game. And... Uh, so I guess eventually I just kind of realized that I know, you know, enough about each area. Maybe I can try and just make something small and I'll see if I have what it takes. And it took me a hell of a lot longer than I ever thought it would. But eventually I kind of got it all together and put out a finished product. Which is amazing. Congratulations for actually getting it out the door what were some of the biggest challenges along the way? Was it learning new programs, or where? Uh, what roadblocks did you not anticipate? Um, yeah, learning new programs was definitely challenging. And what programs lot. are we talking about? Are we talking about Unity and Photoshop, <clears throat> or? Yeah, I mostly use um, free programs. Uh, well, a lot of the the ones that you have to pay for are really expensive. Yeah, if you work for a company and they're paying for it, that's great. But for the rest of us, at least there are free tools out there. Right, yeah. And there have been, it's becoming more and more accessible all the time. If it's not free, there's a lot of cheaper equivalents out there to a lot of the programs. But yeah, I'd say the main ones that I use are Unity is the free engine that I use. Blender is a 3D modeling program that I use. Um, and I used uh, the version of Photoshop that I got 
in college. So I paid for it, but with my college tuition. So in oh a god, sense, that's gonna be so so brutal. I'm still paying for it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's kind of outdated now at this point because I the version that I bought was from 2005. But it's been it's been doing pretty good for me for quite a while. But I just recently got a new program to kind of substitute in for Photoshop called Clip Studio Pro, hmm. which I'm, I'm really liking, but it's fairly cheap. I think I got it. Well, I, I actually got it with a uh, drawing tablet that I picked up. So it just kind of came with it. What's it like releasing a game on so many different platforms? Is it, I mean, you make a game and you think you're done, but how is releasing on Google, the Google Play Store different from releasing on Steam? Um, it's challenging. I, I definitely learned that developing for mobile is trickier than I thought. I, I kind of set out doing a mobile game because I figured that would be easiest. Like, they're generally smaller games, so I could just Plus bang one out really fast. And everyone on the planet has a smartphone in their pocket at this point, so yeah. there's a huge potential market there. That's true. Yeah, one of the things that I I learned very quickly is... Screen real estate is very important on a mobile game because the screen is so small and your controls are generally the screen itself. So you really kind of have to think about where you place things, the size of things. And, you know, I kind of grew up playing console games. So kind of switching that mindset was something that I wasn't expecting going into it. Sure, and jumping back to squirrels specifically, if I remember right, the controls are very simple. Like, you aim where you're launching the squirrel, and that's about it, and how powerful the launch is. Well, yeah, to, to start with, and then you, as the squirrels, the squirrels just kind of run by themselves, and so you can tap on them to change which direction they're running, but you can also interact with other things in the level, um, like you can pull down on a tree branch and then let go as a squirrel runs over it to fling them up in the air, and Lots of lots of little things like that. I will admit I have not gotten very deep into Psycho Squats. <laughs> yeah, not very far at all if you don't know about that. <laughs> it's also been a little while. I played it right around the time that it came out. Yeah, which it's been out for over a year now. I just realized the other day that I missed the one-year anniversary. <laughs> Didn't even think about it. <laughs> How could you not raise a toast or something at that point? I don't know. It just wasn't on my mind. <laughs> I'm drinking the two gingers and ginger ale. Here's to you, Scott, and one year for Psycho Squirrels. Oh, thanks. What are some of the things you have to deal with when making a game that people just don't think of ahead of time? Well, things that people don't think of ahead of time. Maybe maybe this is something that people would think of ahead of time, but when you're, you're programming, there are a lot of little nuances to how things work and uh, I guess for like a seasoned programmer maybe they would uh, be it would be a lot more fluid for them but I was I was literally learning the scripting language for Unity as I was making Cycle Scrolls because I'd learned a little bit of programming before so I was somewhat familiar with it but I didn't I didn't learn uh, JavaScript which is what I was using for Cycle Scrolls and so I was learning it as I was making it, and the the community for Unity was huge. That's a rhyme. That's sounded really <laughs> funny right there. The, the Unity community, um, they were 
absolutely. design with impunity. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they were absolutely amazing, though, because they have a, a forum on there where you can ask questions to people who are familiar with the software and they'll kind of help you through, or well, I mean, anyone can go on there and answer questions and help other people with their projects. Who is that altruistic? Like who actually spends their time helping other people work through their coding issues? You know, I've wondered that I I go on there a few times. I have answered a few questions myself. I think just to kind of pay back, like I felt guilty. I'm like, Hey, I've, I've used this so much. People have helped me out so much that I should probably jump on and answer a question or two here or there. But I've definitely taken a lot more from that than I've given back at this point. Um, so maybe as I learn more, I, I'll go on and try and help people out more. But I, yeah, I don't know. I wondered uh, like why some of these people will spend so much time going back and forth with me just to make sure that I get this one line of code right. It's, hmm. it's pretty amazing, actually. So if you don't know how to code, and if you're not willing to learn, are you just screwed out of making games? Well, not screwed out of it, but like, do you have any hope of making a game without learning that skill? Um, yeah, it would be very difficult, but I think it's becoming easier all the time. I know there's, uh, some programs now, like, uh, I'm trying to think of what the name of it is. I think, is it Game Maker? The, it's, it's, there's some, like, fairly basic app out there that are an engine that is supposed to help people who don't really know how to program to make a game. Um, I think I I kind of dabbled with it a long time ago mm-hmm. and realized that it's it's kind of simple and if you really want to get into making something the way that you want to make it, you might kind of need to get into programming. But I don't know. Things are things are changing all the time and things that were really difficult a long time ago are now much simpler. Like I couldn't never have made this game ten years earlier. Sure. Well, we fascinating to see how things progress, and there's products like Media Molecules Dreams that are supposedly making game creation much easier. Do you think that that barrier to entry into creation is a good thing, or do you think that the easier it gets, the better it is for all gamers? I think the easier it gets, um, the better it is, because, I mean, the more, well, I mean, just having more content out there isn't necessarily a good thing, but... Uh, but I guess the easier we can make it for a creative genius to get that genius into our hands is a good thing. Right. It makes it easier for people to be discovered. You mentioned a couple of the tools that you used earlier. What other tools are available for game design, and uh, how hard is it to harness them to make your vision into reality? Well, I besides Unity, uh, Unreal just recently made their game engine free as well. Interesting. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not really sure how that's going for them. I've used, or well, I'm sure it's going fine for them. I'm, I'm not really sure how, uh, using the engine is, has changed because I used it when I was in gaming school and that, I mean, that was a long time ago. So I think it was Unreal 3 at the time and I'm sure it's a completely different thing now. Um, what's the benefit to these companies for making their engine available for free? Like, if you hit a certain income threshold with your game, do you have to pay them a percentage? Or, like, is it just out of the goodness of their hearts they're putting these tools out there for potential creators? Yeah, that's kind of what it is. Is uh, For Unity, I don't know how Unreal works, but for Unity, uh, once you go over $100,000 in revenue, then you have to get the pro version, which... Is I think you 
pay a thousand dollars to Unity for that, and I'm not sure if they yes, get one percent out of a hundred grand. You're yeah, probably it's, doing pretty good. It's really not bad, um, but also they have uh, you know some their own ad apps or their app programs uh, like I used in in Psycho Squirrels that they're able to monetize. So they kind of have ways of of getting their cut as well. Interesting. Moving from Psycho Squirrels to game design in general, what are some tricks that game developers use to fool our eyes and brains that the average gamer, like me, isn't even aware of? I don't know. I mean, I mean, <laughs> I might not be the best person to ask about this. Um, I still consider myself kind of a fledgling game designer. <clears throat> For Psycho Squirrels, doing a, uh, an orthographic view uh, it was a little bit trickier than... Also, what's an orthographic view? Yeah, I was going to get to that. <laughs> <laughs> so the difference between an orthographic view or a perspective view is... Uh, like okay, So most people see in a perspective view, it's things look different depending on the angle that you're viewing it at, right? For an orthographic view, it's like, it's like you're looking at a graph from the side. Like everything is... Uh, kind of straight on, kind of like a Mario game, uh, like the original Mario Brothers. If you're looking at Mario and you see the platform that he's standing on, you can't see the top of the platform. It's just straight on from the side. Anyway, uh, so yeah, there are a lot of tricks to developing in that perspective that I didn't really account for when I started the game, and I thought it was going to be much simpler, uh, just because it's 2D, but kind of layering objects and uh, making certain ones go in front of others or appear as though they're in front of another in different locations can be a little bit tricky at times. And then you have things like parallax scrolling, which is moving the background at different speeds in order to kind of give the illusion of depth of things in the background. So there's a lot of little tricks like that, I guess. That is a hard thing to wrap your head around when you're first... Hearing it. <laughs> yeah. It's much easier to, to demonstrate with visuals, but sure. just kind of describing it audibly is a little more difficult. So you're saying I chose an awful format for my podcast. Thanks a lot, <laughs> That cuts very deeply. Yeah. So what's next for you? Are you working on something new now? Not yet. I'm still kind of mulling over ideas of things that I want to do. Uh, I've How likely do you think it is that you're going to come up with a new concept and see it all the way through to completion again. Would you say you're definitely going to do it? You're likely going to do it? You might do it? I definitely want to do it. Sure. Um, it's, yeah, it's, you know, I kind of got my, my first one out of the way uh, and I, I learned a lot from it. And so I'm kind of excited to jump in and do something that's more in line with my passions. But... It's, You're not passionate about Psycho Squirrel, Scott? Oh, no, it's it's fine, but it's uh, <laughs> I I was never really a mobile game player myself. Sure. So, so ideally, the next thing would be maybe console-based. Uh, yeah, I would, I would, I'm definitely going to focus on doing something that you play with a controller rather than uh, on your phone, because I, I never really was a mobile game player myself, and I kind of realized that I should, moving forward, I should focus on what I know. And so using a, a 
PlayStation controller and Xbox controller would be ideal for whatever I'm going to work on next. Sure. And it occurs to me that we never talked about the time commitment. If you had to estimate how many hours you spent on Psycho Squirrels, where do you think you'd be around? That's really hard to say because all in all, I spent probably over four years making it. But And just for context, you're married, you have a full-time job, you have passions and interests beyond making a game. Like, you have a life. So, in four years, that seems like a pretty hefty commitment to get something out the door. Right. And, well, that's that kind of goes into why it's hard for me to gauge how much time I put into it. Because during that time, I got married. So, I took a six-month break off of any development at all just to plan wedding stuff. Weddings are way more planning and it's way more time intensive than we ever imagined we mm-hmm. go into it also your um, wife is wonderful shout out to jen yeah absolutely yeah so i, I usually have about at, well, like at max an ideal day is i get two hours to work on whatever i want which is not a whole lot for for something as time intensive as making sure. a game and that's not just making a game but that's also like your gaming time and like any kind of like personal time you have right right yeah that's that's free time that i'm i'm basically giving up to focus on this well i wouldn't say giving up because i i love making games and it's mm-hmm. it's just as enjoyable as doing something else in my free time so say you had a 200 million dollar budget what kind of game would you work on a 200 million dollar budget and all the time that you need, what would you produce? Oh my god, um, that's more than I would probably need for anything that I can think of. <laughs> I'm not quite that ambitious, um, but I, of course, I have a dream games that I've planned on making since before I started. You know, that that game that I had in my head when I started game design school, going, I'm gonna make this someday. But I don't, yeah, I don't know if I need two hundred million dollars. <laughs> well, just take a yeah. specific figure out unlimited resources, unlimited time and money to make whatever you want. And what do you think you'd come up with? Um, I don't want to give too much away, just in case I ever do end up making it someday. But like a three D kind of adventure game, um, you know, kind of something in a similar vein to the Legend of Zelda, like you know. The, the 3D ones, Ocarina mm-hmm. of Time or something like that. Fascinating. I'd do something like a CRPG with an isometric view and like so much text that you had to read. <laughs> Pillars of Eternity would be kind of like my dream project to be a part of. Yeah. I don't know too much about Pillars of Eternity. I'm a big CRPG fan. <laughs> like Baldur's Gate is one of my all-time favorite games and they just announced or they just released a trailer for Baldur's Gate 3. Like that just sent me through the damn roof. Oh yeah, I did see that. Any other thoughts on game design that you think that we should share? Anything you want to get off your chest for potential designers? Anything you want to share about the experience of making Psycho Squirrels? Uh, no, absolutely nothing. All right, well, <laughs> go and buy Psycho Squirrels available no, on many platforms. I would say um, just the number one thing you need to make a game is commitment. You definitely have to be disciplined. I mean, like, you can be a, a good programmer, a great artist, but in order to make a game, you really have to be committed to pull yourself back to the project. Every time you find yourself straying or think it's getting a little bit boring, you really need to 
focus on the end product and just be disciplined enough to follow through with it. And to piggyback off of that and to plug something on OIO, if you want to work in the industry, if you want to go and work for Gearbox, if you want to go work for Sony, if you want to work for Microsoft, uh, my interview with Sam Churchian on OIO, he talked about how important it was to actually make something that if you're going to, if you manage to land an interview with one of these companies, you need to have a flash drive with some actual projects that you've worked on on it. Mm-hmm. I totally agree with that. That was a great interview, by the way. Thank you. <laughs> Very proud of it. Check it out on Outside is Overrated. Well, thanks for sharing your experience on making Psycho Squirrel, Scott. Again, it's available on pretty much everything except for the Apple Store. So we really encourage you to check it out. I mean, it's a fun game. It's interesting. We've had a number of friends that have played it, and I haven't played the completion. Sorry, but I did pay for it, so there's something. <laughs> hey, that's all I need. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'd love feedback if you do ever play more. And once again, they can reach you at... Uh, intangiblegame at gmail.com. Beautiful. Moving on from Psycho Squirrels and game creation, we're going to touch very briefly on a Final Fantasy Challenge update. Now, we are recording this on June... 8th, relatively early in the month for Outsiders Overrated. In June, we're playing Final Fantasy VI, which I haven't actually started yet, but I do certainly hope I'll get some time into it. I've never played it before. Scott, what kind of experience am I in for here? Oh, you've never played it before. I've never touched six. Oh, okay. I thought that was one of the ones that you'd previously done. Nope. At this point, it is, I think, the only mainline Final Fantasy that I have not played to some degree. Oh, okay. Nope, I haven't played eight either, actually. I've beaten seven. I've beaten nine. I've played a bunch of... I've played all the rest, but I've never touched six or eight. Okay. That's one of my favorites. Absolutely. It's, what sets it apart from the others? <clears throat> um, well, it uh, has a huge cast of characters that are all just awesome. <laughs> so it's almost... It must take some cues from Final Fantasy for them with Cecil and his crew of people. Yeah, right. They're, they're very... They focused on on characters a lot. I mean, as far as like what makes them special individually, both gameplay wise and story wise. And uh, there's some. I don't know how far you're going to get into it. I would definitely recommend completing it, maybe after your challenge, if you run out of time or something. But which has happened every single month. I <laughs> want to go back and I want to beat all of these games, but having a monthly timer on it is incredibly stressful. Yeah, for that's me. a pretty tough goal you set up for and yourself. They're going to get super long after this one. Like, how long do you think it'll take me to beat six? This one, I would say they'd get long at this one or before oh, this one. Terrific! I don't have a chance. It's a <laughs> I mean, seven. I know. I'll never a beat fifty-hour game. Oh, good Christ. <laughs> well, I'm looking forward to playing it. I didn't share my thoughts on Final Fantasy V. I didn't make the final cut of the podcast. I might dump my thoughts into the feed, but basically I thought five was really cool. I, I, I thought the story took a backseat to four. The story wasn't as good, but I liked the flexibility of the job system and being able to carry an ability into new job systems. I, I mean, I, I get why people love this franchise so much. I wish that I had played it more, that I had played it back in the day and that I'd been able to complete these games but wow early Final Fantasy is so good except for 2 mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah I never played 2 I did enjoy 5 though it's it did uh, it was it was really interesting using the job system in that one so that's it for this edition of Outside is Overrated next month we are planning to have the name of the show back Brian oh my god how many times have we said his name this show Brian will be back for a discussion of Legend of Zelda unless I decide to do something completely different with somebody else which could happen but uh that's the plan for right now 
Scott, thank you so much for joining me here tonight. How was your first OIO experience? It was fantastic. I guess not your first OIO experience. You have written for the site before. You shared your thoughts on the Dragon Ball Fighters demo back before it was fully released. That's true, yeah. I, I wrote an article for the beta a long time ago. So we'll see if people write in talking about how much they hate you or if uh, we should have you back for a future show. <laughs> Fantastic. Can't wait to hear it. Yeah. If you enjoyed this show or even if you hated it, please tell a friend. We would really appreciate more listeners. A couple of real quick shout-outs. I found out my friend Scott listens to the show, so that's awesome. He came here to give us an estimate on redoing our kitchen, and he mentioned that he actually listens to the show. So thanks for checking it out, Scott. I, yesterday I was telling all of my female coworkers at work to check out the episode with Phoenix. So That was a great episode, too. Thank you very much. Phoenix is in the room. Is there anything you'd like to tell her about how she was as a co-host? Uh, great. You guys had a really good chemistry. We have excellent you chemistry. <laughs> <laughs> I think I nailed that down. Wait, hang on. We don't need to hear too much about that. <laughs> <laughs> Follow us on social media. You can find me on Twitter at Tom underscore underscore awesome. You can email the show at overratedpod at gmail.com. You can email Scott at intangiblegame at gmail.com. Is intangible easy to spell? Uh, it's just like the word. I-N-T-A-N-G-I-B-L-E. It's pretty easy. Hooray! I did it. I'm good with words. <laughs> you can follow the show on Facebook at facebook.com slash outside is overrated. Follow us on Instagram at Instagram. Not at Instagram. Follow us on Instagram at outside underscore overrated pod. We'll be back next month. Stay inside, kids. Hooray! We did it! Now comes the techno music. Yep. <laughs> I really like the outro music. Oh, our lines just got so much bigger. Oh, oh no. This is going to be an excellent show. Excellent. Help loosen the tongue a little bit. Yeah, you should be able to reach me at Intangible Game. Uh, or no, hang on. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> it gives me an opportunity to enjoy the Two Gingers and Ginger Ale, which has a lot of Two Gingers in it. This is a very stiff first drink. <laughs> You can start yelling Shazam at random intervals. <laughs>